get yourself some of this. In this corner with Brian Campbell is back with the MMA edition as the finest tag team in all of combat talk returns to do one thing and one thing only. Inject your senses with that unmistakable dose of performance enhancing audio. Believe it, my friends. I back, baby. I back. Trust me. I back. The Brian Campbell, the man with the plan, is the voice you hear just moments away from tagging in his royal highness, King Mo Muhammad Lawal, to recap the weekend that was an MMA debate, who the sport's next crossover star just might be, and break down why UFC fighters have had such a difficult time of late making that transition to Bellator MMA Yes, we're talking about gay guard Musasi this past weekend. But King Mo also issues an open challenge to anyone looking to get those hands in the cage and updates the latest on his return to sports entertainment ahead of the November 5th Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory pay-per-view card. Yes, you have entered the exclusive podcast home of King Mo, so be sure to bow and show some respect. In my home, this is my home right here, this is America Top Team. Don't disrespect me in my home. Don't you dare. But before we make the audio magic happen in a style that is bound to impress you. I'm not impressed by your performance. Let me remind you to let your voice be heard in support of the ITC. If you hear something today that you like. You see something, say something. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, review. Heck, shout us out on social media using that hashtag in this corner. Your support is much, much appreciated. But without any further ado, it's time to tag in the good and gracious king. Enjoy. Oh, the MMA tag team is back in this corner. BC and the fine royalty in the sport of mixed martial arts. King Mo, Muhammad, Lawal, the king. How's it been, man? How you, we took a week off. We're back though. What's going on in the life of the king here? Man, I feel good. A week felt like two weeks, maybe a month. <laughs> Yeah, forever, man. You know, it's, it's been a while. It you're feels get, like that, at least. You're getting that itch to get back behind the mic and, and drop it 100 like you always do. King Mo, we can't start the show and get into fights without getting into a little bit more King Mo news. You know, we've been talking in recent weeks. You're back in the wrestling game. We don't know for how long, but this Impact Wrestling Bound for Glory pay-per-view, November 5th in Canada. Where is this specifically? This is November 5th. In uh, Ottawa, Ontario, at the Aberdeen Pavilion, formally announced by Impact Wrestling is this. Six sides of steel tag team match. Moose and UFC Hall of Famer Stefan Bonner on one side. Bobby Lashley and King Mo Lawal on the other side. Me, fan of wrestling and MMA, I'm fired up. How about yourself? I'm fired up. I know I'm good. This is an epic mismatch. We have two... Supreme athletes and me and Bobby Lashley versus two body guys, two jobbers. Oh wow! Look at this kayfabe only here on the in the score confidence. He's talking to these guys. This guy Bonner, a jobber. I love it. He is a jobber. That's what he is. That's, that's his job to job to me. <laughs> Kingbo, this feud has really been handled well. It's been escalating perfectly. What we last saw most recently was, you know, we talked last time about Moose going into the ATT gym. Getting some of that one hit a quitter from King Mo, getting bounced around. Well, he came back with Stefan Bonner. It, it looked like after hours. I mean, somebody was working the desk, but the gym was quiet. Moose and Bonner come in. They're looking for Dan Lambert. He's not there. So they take a baseball bat to like a glass case filled with belts. They start ripping t-shirts off the wall. They're, they're, what's going on here? Man, it's out of disrespect. That's where it is. Um, but in Ottawa, Canada, we're going to take care of that. I'm going to beat. I'm gonna beat Bonner and Moose. Actually, we are gonna beat Bonner and Moose to make sure they show Dan Lambert that respect that he deserves. How's that uh, wrestling fan base in Canada? This this uh, this a wild bunch in the, in Ontario there? Well, the wrestling fan base in Canada is strong. I just don't know about Ottawa. We'll find out um, when we get there. We'll find out. That is turning out to be a a very interesting card. You know that the six sides of steel tag match just a larger part of what's going on. You know the uh, Eli Drake versus Johnny Impact for the Impact Global Championship. We're seeing a, a six man tag with Team Impact against Team AAA. Some things happening on that card. Some names we all know well. EC3. Eli Drake, Abyss, you know, on and on. But, look, you know my focus is going to be on this really cool MMA versus pro wrestling storyline. I want to see the king back in there. I want to see the calf slicer make a comeback here. Uh, we're going to do – it's going to be pretty – 
put it like this, it won't be like TLC. It'll be a bear. It'll be better than TLC. Oh my opinion. god! Did you see that debacle, King Mo? I mean, we do touch on pro wrestling a lot in here. Did you see Sunday night that absolute debacle with Kurt Angle joining the show? Like, what is going on here? That's why I didn't watch it because the thing is, I was worried what would happen with the creative and the storyline because what I was hoping was well, they had five on three, where the authors of pain joined the Shield to yes. make it five on five. That could have been something. But then with the illnesses and the, the viral meningitis going around. He yeah, got I mean, for, for anybody not a pro wrestling fan, uh, big stars Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt had a, had a viral illness pulled from the card two days before. The, you don't see this in pro wrestling where it's like we literally have to, you know, scramble at the last minute. They plug in uh, Kurt Angle, who hadn't been in a WWE ring in 11 years, but it was almost like they wasted his comeback. And then, you know, it's like a five-on-two match for most of it. They killed Braun Strowman and threw him in a garbage truck. I mean, it's just it's just chaos. It's just I don't know about that booking, but we do know about the booking in MMA, King Mo. We got a lot to recap after this weekend's action. A lot of news to get through. The biggest news inside of a cage from this past weekend was the UFC Fight Night card in Poland. Not a strong card, but there was some some highlights that came out of that, specifically in that main event. You had welterweight Darren Till, who may be a thing on the rise, or when they asked his opponent, Donald Cerrone, when the fight was made, he said, honestly, I've never heard of this guy. Well, King Mo... Cowboy knows who this guy is now after a TKO1. But the question after watching that impressive take knocked out is, is Darren Till for real? Or is Cowboy Cerrone shot? Where did you fit in that, that, that vortex here after watching the finish of that match? Well, when I, I think Darren Till is very athletic, very, um, a great competitor. But if we look at, um, if we look at Cowboy Cerrone, if we look at his career, he's fought Fight after fight after fight after fight, going weight classes, taking fights on short notice. You know, I don't think he's, I don't think he's like, you know, really come back from his, um, his motorcycle wreck. Um, I think there's a lot of things out there that, um, is holding him back from reaching his full potential. I think mainly one, that busy schedule, and two, he's taking a lot of damage. I'm not saying he's shot. I'm just saying maybe he needs to take a little break from the, um, Step away from the cage a little bit and come back at 155 because you're a 155 pounder. I agree with that last part. That welterweight, you're you're fighting a bit over your head. Now you can argue that and say, well, didn't he win four in a row after moving down to welterweight at the beginning of 2016? He did, but that four in a row has been followed by now three straight defeats. And I think a lot of it is what you said. Cowboy's a guy who always says, I want to fight four times a year. I don't care against who. I don't care about titles. I care about the money. I have a certain lifestyle that I want to live. I want the money to come in. That's all I care about. UFC earlier this year, after Cowboy was knocked out against Jorge Masvidal, forced him to sit out until July to basically rest when Cowboy's like, I want to come back in a month and a half. Like, that's just how he's wired. But that doesn't translate to competing for championships and, and being at your best, right? I mean, it's, it just doesn't make sense. It does, but the, again, what he say said, hey, I'm not looking for the belt. I'm not looking to be a champion. I'm looking to get paid. And sometimes when you like that, now here's what happens. If he were to go out there and just, if he would have won and kept on winning, he would have got a title shot because he's winning. But right now his mindset is, hey, just give me, keep me busy. I want, you know, I want to get the bills paid. So book me every three months, you know, and I think that, I think it's, it's good for him because I like that. But at the same time, if you're getting injured or you're getting knocked out or you, or you haven't, you're not fully healed or a hundred percent, in the long run, after their second or third fight that year, your fourth fight is going to be worthless. Well, Cowboy, if you look back over the, the, the patterns of his career, he's a guy that will run off between five to seven wins in a row, suffer a big loss when he finally steps up, and then come back and run off another win streak. Though this time that I mentioned, three straight losses, the knockout to Masvidal, the tough three-round decision loss to Robbie Lawler at UFC 214. Maybe the fight could have gone either way. A lot of action in that one. And now a very early knockout to Till. Cowboy is 34, though, King Mo. And when the chin goes, historically, the chin goes. Cerrone's always been a guy you can jump on early. You can hit him early. In fact, his problem has always been he's been a late starter. He almost gets knocked out in some of, in all of his biggest fights, right? He almost gets knocked out early, then sort of rallies back. I'm just, I'm not going to make a, a little bit of a comparison. A guy like Chuck Liddell, when the chin was gone, it was gone, and it was a long slide down that hill. Are we at that point with Cowboy because of age and the accumulation of 42 pro fights? Well, yes and no. Yes, if he decides to keep the style. No, if he makes some changes and fights long and works on his defense. Because, you know, um, he has skills. He just chooses not to show them. He's a great kickboxer, good in the ground, can wrestle. 
there's a lot of things he can do to prolong his career and keep him taking damage, but I think he's caught to, caught up in um, exciting the crowd and having putting on good performances of the crowd, and he'll take shots that he needs he needs not to take. That's a good point. I, it takes me back to you remember when Eddie Alvarez made his UFC debut? It was the big signing from Bellator? It was 2014. They gave him to Cerrone. Like everybody else, I'm thinking this is going to be a reckless brawl. Cerrone fought that night the style that you're mentioning, using distance, using kicks, and he outpointed Alvarez, and he looked very intelligent in doing so. But we don't always see that same cowboy. I mean, you ever, you ever talk to the guy? There's not a lot. Of, he's not a great interview because he's so cut and dry. I'm here to fight and brawl and make money, and that's it. Don't you know? Let's not talk about strategy. So you know, it is what it is. But now we got to talk about Darren Till. The guy is now 16-0-1. He's brash. He's from England. This is the first time a lot of MMA fans are really finding out what this guy is. He says he's basically the next McGregor coming out of Europe. Hard to tell when you look at his resume up to this point, but just 24 years old. Should should we now be eyes wide open to this guy as being possibly a, a, a guy to watch at welterweight? Well, has he faced any wrestlers or grapplers yet? Uh, when you look up and down his roster, King Mo, that was his fifth UFC fight. I'm going to be really honest with you. Cowboy was the first name I've heard of of his UFC opponents. That does tell you something. Well, until until he until he fights anybody that can wrestle. Any type of pressure fighter or faces some type of adversity with us facing a tough name, then I feel like, you know, he could be the goods. We, you know, I feel like sometimes in MMA, we're too quick to jump on somebody and have a good win. Oh, he's the next big thing. Oh, he's the next big thing. I feel like we should wait. You know, we're still growing in, in this, in, in this event called MMA. It's still growing. There's no need to rush it and be like, he's the next big thing. Next thing you know, we're going to call, be calling amateurs that have no, they have never made a pro debut. The next big thing. We should just wait. You know, there's no need to crown anything until they prove themselves. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't put the don't put the crown on his head. The crown only belongs on Mo Lawal's head. But I mentioned almost a Till calling himself the next McGregor. He did try to take his moment though and back it up with big words. This was his quote after. It's very simple. I believe I'm the best fighter alive. I say it time and time again, and I believe it. Trust me, I believe it. I'm an effing light heavyweight fighting in the welterweight division. Look how powerful I am, end quote. Hey, I'll respect that. I'll respect those kind of words. You got to sell. You got to sell it, right? You got to sell it, but after a while, like, you know, sell it with some action, and that's what he did. Now, um, he says he's the best fighter in the world at um, welterweight, or there's guys like Robbie Lawler, Masvidal. Yeah, that's the deep end of the pool right there. Yeah, you got Marty Usman. You have a lot, you know, Kamaru Usman. You have a lot of guys out there at 170 that can that can hit hit like um like heavyweights that can fight, you know. But the thing, the difference between them and him is that they fought names. He's still being built. And the thing is, obviously, UFC sees something in him to keep him from wrestlers because that's what they did with Conor McGregor and a few Ooh, other guys. Very true. Until until Chad Mendes walked in that cage. But do you downgrade? By the way, hindsight now, 2020. Do we downgrade that Mendez win because he was coming in, not even in training camp, and he gassed out in the second round against Connor? Well, I'm going to put it like this. <clears throat> I have my suspicions because I've coached against Mendez in, in college wrestling. He's a tough athlete, tough wrestler, but the problem with Mendez was he was a three-minute athlete. So mm. our coach would be like, hey, wrestle him hard the first minute, the first three minutes, and then the last four minutes, because the wrestling match is seven minutes, the last four minutes, you know, we have a chance to win. So if you look at his record – if you look at his matches, like Brock Lesnar, they're 3-2, 2-1, 4-3. low-scoring matches because he didn't widen the gap. He scores points and hang on, just like Brock Lesnar did. And um, if you look at Chad Mendez, he's a he's very athletic, very explosive, powerful. But after the first round, if he doesn't get you out of there by the first round, then he didn't go to decision. Or he'll struggle struggle to, to hang on for the victory. Like watch me fight um, Nick Lentz years ago. And even even when he fought um Jose Aldo the first time, you see him fatiguing. The second time he trained to go five rounds, but you didn't see the power there because he trained to go five rounds. Powerful athletes can't aren't usually known for um having great endurance unless you're Marvin Hagler. Mar- Marvis, marvelous <laughs> Marvin Hagler, who is a, a power volume puncher. There's very few. Ike Abeyabuchi is one of them. Vasily Jurov is another one. You rarely see guys that can punch at volume and carry power. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's weird that Connor could get this far. 
inst- I mean, like, it's at one point, it's like Connor's gotten far enough where we really can't criticize the matchmaking, criticize his ability. But at the same time, we thought he was finally going to fight a wrestler against Eddie Alvarez, and Eddie tried to box with him. So it's like we still haven't seen him in there with like the pure 100% Nurmaga Medoff type wrestler to see what Connor does to react. Well, not just Nurmaga Medoff, but someone like Ferguson. You got um, Kevin Lee, even Will, guys that can really wrestle. Like um, Eddie Alvarez, he could wrestle. He wrestled in high school. But um, he was known for being a boxer, boxer, brawler, puncher. You never, we rarely saw him use his wrestling. We saw him use it against Gilbert Melendez, and he tried to use it against Connor. But when he fought Connor, you could tell that he wouldn't spend much time with his wrestling because his takedown attempts and his uh, his interests, you know, his setups were just terrible. I feel like he got caught in the mental trap that night too, Kingbo. He got caught up in the uh, I'm going to shut this loud mouth up, which is like Connor's spider web. He just lures you into that. That's what he did with, um, I'll never forget that he did it with, uh, Dustin Poirier. And I'll remember, never forget two years ago, I talked to Dustin. I said, Dustin, what's your game plan? He's like, to knock him out. I'm like, Dustin, don't knock him out. Just decision him. Why? I'm most stupid. I was like, here's why. You decision, that means you outstruck him. You had better cardio, better grappling. You had better kickbox. You had better everything, better game plan. So when you do that to a person, you beat them 30, 27 or 30, 26, 25, you shut them out. Then they go back to the drawing board and they think, hey, am I with the right management? Am I with the right coaches? Am I with the right team? Am I doing enough of this? Am I doing enough of that? Once you start getting a fighter that's high level to question himself, then that's when they fall off. Well, they say that this game, King Mo, is is 90% mental. I mean, it really is, right? I mean, that's what separates the elite guys. So we can say whatever we want about Connor. And again, he's achieved so much, there's really hard to criticism. But he owns and dominates that mental space, and that is a skill set. That's a major part of being sustained success at this level. Yeah, he owns it, but would he own it versus someone like Tony Ferguson? Or would he own it versus somebody like Habib Nurmagomedov? Or would he own it versus Dos Anjos? Because those guys, one thing about wrestler or guys that can wrestle and guys that can grapple is, we don't shake that easy because we know when it's all said and done, we can we have the skills to control you. You can punch, yeah, that's great. But if you miss the punch and you overextend, you overcommit, guess what? You're on your back for one minute, two, yeah. five, 15, 25, who knows? And as the great King Mo once said, then it becomes just a math problem because hands plus wrestling equals – equals you got issues right there. You got you. issues, especially with someone like Habib, Ferguson. Those guys are on fire right now, you know, and – those are the guys, especially with Ferguson. Ferguson presents cardio issues, reach. You know, he has a he can grapple, he can wrestle. He he presents a bunch of different um, issues. Habib, pressure. I, I've never seen anyone have deal with his pressure just yet. And who knows? It could be Gaethje, it could be Dustin Poirier. But until it happens, you know, um, Habib and Tony Ferguson, the the clear cut favorites in that division. Well, we're talking about Connor here. This is a natural segue because although Darren Till made a splash in UFC Poland, really the biggest headlines was Connor McGregor. He came out of hiding, and not really like hiding. I think it's just the kind of hiding that when you make a hundred million in a boxing match, you kind of go and spend that for a while. But he came back to the public eye to support his uh, gym teammate. There, his name, of course, Artem Lobov, in a featherweight match against Andre Philly, and. You had McGregor trying to be a cheerleader, trying to be a coach from the sidelines, and it produced something, King Mo, that I've never seen before. Shout out to referee Mark Goddard, who actually stopped the action with Feely on top of Lobov and said, hold on, guys, went over and gave Conor McGregor, who at this point was running circles around the cage, pounding on the cage, screaming instructions to Lobov, and basically said, sit down, shut up, and be professional, more or less. Have you ever seen something like this? Uh, No, not really. Um, A lot of times, like, People that are professional in the corner, because Connor's not really a corner guy. He's a guy that he was just there to support his friend, but he ended up being a cornerman in a sense. Um, you rarely see that, and maybe you might see it at smaller shows, but at big shows, and the guys aren't really willing to risk anything, you know, lose a point or willing to risk getting kicked out or suspended. So I haven't seen that before. Um, things are always happening. Brand new things are always happening in the sport. <laughs> And, you know, Goddard's point of view, he talked to MMA fighting afterwards, was basically, you know, Connor's an unlicensed corner man in this spot. Every fighter gets three corner men. They have to stay in the spot, you know, in the corner. And you have Connor giving an unfair advantage by giving strategy, by running around the cage. I've just never seen it. It's certainly not with a celebrity on this level as Connor, but it's going to make headlines whenever Connor does, you know, anything. Lobov get, takes a decision loss here, and this guy has 
gotten quite a push from being one of Connor's guys, but he's now 13, 14, and 1. He's now 2 and 4 in the UFC. Another tough loss for the guy. You saw McGregor counseling him after the bout, walking him back to the locker room, cameras everywhere. And then it kind of became a problem again because Connor, while counseling Artem Lobov, drops a pair of homophobic slurs, presumably talking about Feely. And now that's making headlines everywhere. And now, you know, we don't bring this up to label Connor McGregor as being something he isn't because he's actually spoken out for gay rights when it, when it was brought to assembly in Ireland a few years ago. But this is sort of a rough headline to pile on to the, Hey Connor, you just got ejected from, from the cage side of a UFC fight. And then you just drop this afterwards. King Mo, should the UFC respond to this publicly? Because they did set a precedent just last month. You remember Fabricio Verdum got into that altercation at a media luncheon with Tony Ferguson, they traded insults back and forth in both Portuguese and Spanish. Some of those insults were, you know, kind of homophobic slurs. They made Verdum apologize publicly and announce that he's going to do essentially community service work in Las Vegas in the gay community to kind of make up for that. So far, UFC, no public reaction to what McGregor did. Is there a uh, double standard here, or, or should we just let them handle that themselves? Well, it's you know a little bit of both. They should handle it themselves. It is a little double standard, you know. Um, you know, I know Connor might spoke out for gay rights, and it's easy for all of us to until unless we're there in the forefront. Because I'm I'm for gay rights. I'm whatever you, people want to do, do as long as not it's not harming nobody and killing people. But you know, it's easy for me to say that because I'm not around it. You know what I'm saying? It's easy for Connor to say it. It's different when you're involved. Maybe Connor doing something with um with for Doom. For the gay community, or do, or donating something for a charity to auction off for the for for a, a gay um like some type of gay cause, um like you know LBGTQ cause would um, would be great you know sure. would, would be a good look, it, I think that's something fair. It's sort of a double negative there for Connor over the weekend. The only other thing of note I saw from that UFC Poland card was former Bellator lightweight. The Polish prodigy himself, Marcin Held, finally got off the snide. He started 0-3 in the UFC, gets a decision this time in his home country against Nazrat Hakparash. Uh, good to see him get back on, uh, uh, you know, get in the win column here. We've seen a, a different effect, the opposite, which we're going to talk about in a second, of UFC guys going to Bellator and having a tough time. We hadn't seen, you know, this equation lately. Bellator guys go to UFC and struggle to get a win. But good for Mar Marcin Held right there. Well, Martian Hell, let's be real. His first fight, he should have won. And remember, he fought, um, I forgot the guy from Boston. Uh, name went blank. Um, I got, I got, I got you back here. You're talking about, uh, Diego Sanchez and his, no, Will Brooks and, no, sorry. Let me get this right. He made his debut 2016 against Diego Sanchez, lost the decision, then lost a split decision to Joe Lozon in the next fight. Thanks, right. Joe Lozon. You know, um, even, even his fight with uh, Diego Sanchez, they said it was pretty good back and forth. He got controlled though. But with Lozon, I felt like he beat Lozon. Um, Marcin Hell came to America top team a few times. I talked to him, told him, Hey man, you know, just got, yeah, go out there and be more convincing with your victories. You know, um, I felt like you won that fight. Even Joe Lazan felt like he won that fight because he even said it after, which you after, rarely after, see, you rarely see. So shout out to both of both fighters because they're, they're, you know, um, it takes a man to admit when he lost, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I respect that. You but, know, um, Held is young though, still just 25. I mean, this. He's young, and but people have to remember this: it's about the matchup, not the organization. Because Held should be two and two in the UFC, but he's, but he's one and three, I believe. You know, it's about the matchup, not the organization. Well, you you just set it up perfectly for our transition to Bellator 185 this past Friday night, Uncasville, Connecticut. The debut of again another huge Bellator signing from the UFC, Gegard Mousasi, ends up clinging for life King Mo to a decision three rounds over and Alexander Shlomenko in a middleweight bout Shlomenko the former middleweight champion but this was not the way Bellator or Musasi thought it was going to go Shlomenko lands an overhand left early instantly swells up the right eye of Gegard Musasi to the point that he can't see out of it Musasi closes that first round furiously looking for a finish doing anything to end the fight knowing he's going to have a long road ahead if he doesn't he didn't get there, King Mo. They go the distance, and to be honest with you, I thought Shlomenko got him. I thought Gegard kind of got a gift here. Wow, tough debut on the Bellator side. Well, I never thought that this going to be an easy fight for um, um for um, Gegard because Shlomenko is very experienced. 
He's fought some. He's fought guys like you know, guys. Some guys you can't rec- you don't, we don't recognize the name because they fought in Russia, but he beat those guys. And those guys are tough. Um, when it when it comes down to it, I think I think Gegard had a lot of pressure on him. I, I also I think that Gegard over underestimated Shomenko because I saw some comments saying Shomenko makes twin mistakes. Gegard's gonna knock him out. The fan base thought Gegard to come over to Bellator and easily beat him. Didn't happen. Um, look at the end of the first round. Granted, um, Gegard controlled it, but when Shomenko got to his feet, Shomenko was teeing off on him. And I knew, I was like, okay, the tide changed. Gegard won the first round, but the tide has changed. Going the second round, you know, they're going back and forth. But I felt like Shomenko won the second round. It was close, but I felt like he edged the second round out with damage and controlled the fight on his feet. Now, Gegard got a takedown, took his back and went for submissions, but who would you rather been in that round? Person get punched in the face, getting rocked, or a person that's defending the takedown, defending defending um a submission. The second round was the swing round. You you labeled it there, and man, the judges were generous to Gegard on there. I mean, the the momentum had changed. I thought. Yeah, and, and here's the problem with some of the judges. Like sometimes the judges tend to be fans, so it's like just like fighters and just like fans. They're just like us. They see somebody like they see the hype. They they watch the interviews. They watch the the, the packages and. They, they're like, okay, well, the favorite should be Gegard. Hmm. And anything, and just off of him being the favorite, they'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he's a favorite. You know, that's why, that's why I feel, that's why I think. Sometimes because you're, you have a bigger name, they tend to give you the benefit of the doubt because your name's bigger. Well, Gegard admitted after he did carry a lot of pressure to make a big splash. Uh, King Mo, you got pulled off of this card with the injury. So did Liam McGarry. So did Brennan Ward, who was supposed to be in the co-main against David Rickles. It turned out Gegard was carrying a lot of pressure here. And Shlomenko's got a weird style, a lot of wacky and wild strikes. And, I mean, if that had been an even bout from round one through three, no eye injury, not fighting with one eye, not a, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to assume, like a lot of people did, that Gegard wins it easily. But obviously, anything can happen here. And man, that would have been pretty disastrous to come out of that with a loss. And now he still comes out of it a little bit damaged because he looked very human in there and had to struggle to get a win that I didn't think he deserved. But sometimes just getting that W is all you can ask for, and people can forget about the details afterwards. Yeah, get the, getting a win, Musasi found a way to win. He made it happen, but. You know, um, the thing about the fight, if there was no eye injury, I can't say that Musasi would have won easily because Chlamenko has that spinning, the, all the spinning techniques, spinning back, spinning heel kicks, spinning push kicks to the body, and he has power. And he's very normal to that. He'll go for a takedown. He's well-rounded. You saw him go for the guillotine a few times. He's well-rounded. His takedown defense isn't that bad at all. He, he's, he's mentally tough, one of the most mentally tough people you'll see in Bellator. Ask MMA period. A lot of the, the guy, a lot of those Russian fighters, they're just wired differently. I mean, that's like straight up. They're yeah, just... and and you can see like um, like when the when the announce the announce, the um scorecards are read, you can see the relief in Gegard's face, and you can see the disgust in Shlomenko's face. Even the, the crowd, Gegard's a fan favorite. Gegard got cheered for me, cheered against me, got um, more cheers for me in, um, than I did when we fought Tennessee. Gegard is a fan favorite. It, when he when he announced his name to come out to the ring, went crazy. But once they announced once they announced him as the winner, they went crazier and they booed him up out the um out, out the venue. They booed him out the venue. Well, I'm gonna want to get to hold that thought. I want to get to that in a second. Afterwards, Gegard, you know, he's like on Monday he was on MMA fighting with with Ariel Hawani. You know, he basically said, "Look, I'm I'm fighting with one eye. I mean, he punched me in the eye. I'm fighting on instinct. I'm trying to survive." Then he closes with this: "A win is a win. To the haters, they can suck it." I have a pretty long one. They can all get in line. And, yes, DX style. Suck it. End quote. <laughs> I threw in the DX style there. But uh, some harsh words from Gegard to any potential haters. But you referenced the time you two fought. And I wanted to do a little King Mo story time here, April 17th, 2010. When I look at your resume, this may be the biggest win of your career. You defeat Musasi Fifth five round unanimous decision to win the Strike Force light heavyweight title in Nashville. Give us a, give us some some memories here. Let's go back in time. This was this was a prime King Mo with the crown on his head. This is a big win. Well, it was a big win, but I feel honestly, I feel like I was I was it was too soon. Like that was my sixth fight of my career. <laughs> I, and the thing is, I knew nothing. I knew I knew a punch. I knew ground to pound. But I knew how to wrestle. I was a wrestler still. I had some power, but. Gegard had so much more experience than me, you know, and um, I feel like um, 
I should have moved moved slower, but at the same time, it is where it is. Um, Gegard, very crafty. He did some things like when I got to his legs, he punched me with his knuckle in in my left eye. He targeted my left eye the whole fight, you know. And and in between rounds, I didn't me I should you know being tired, I knew better because in boxing he said don't blow your nose out. Well, I had a hard time breathing. I was like just frustrated. I was tired. So guess what I did? Blew my nose oh, out. No. I blew up, and after that, I was like, okay. Man, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and I thought Gegard would come on, but Gegard never came on because I came on to him, or actually I put the pressure on him and just kept on taking him down. That's all I could do. Well, I couldn't had... really see out my eye, just like him. I mean, that's a huge win, though, King Mo. He was coming off a 15-fight win streak, and the wins were against guys like Babalu, Mark Hunt, Jacare Souza, Melvin Manoff. I mean, these are like, oh, you know, all killers, no fillers. You know, Cyborg Santos. I mean, Hector Lombard. These are some names that he rolled through, but he did lose a point on an illegal upkick against you, and that that did seem to play a difference in the decision down the stretch. Yeah, I, I don't know the score. I know the scores. You know, um, I know I when I was there, I was so tired, I didn't even hear the scores. Still to this day, don't know them. Um, because when I, I watched the fight a while ago, and I was like. I was wondering how, you know, how Gegard could have won any rounds. He was active on his back, but he was on his back. And, you know, I don't know, maybe because maybe my eye was swollen. But No, you were right. 49-45 on all three scorecards. So the upkick did not factor into the finish. You essentially dominated it, you know, piece by piece to take the belt. I mean, too much too soon. Did you go out there and celebrate a little too much too soon afterwards or what? Nah, because my eye was swollen shit. <laughs> you know, after fights, I'm the type of guy, you know, I like to celebrate. I just go home, watch, go to the room, watch TV, or something to eat. You know, I'm not like it's, it's a fight. You know, that's what I trade for. What's to celebrate? I expect to win when I fight. So why should I celebrate a victory when I expect to win? Oh come on, we want to see you turn up in Nashville. We want to see you get lit with the crown on your head. You know, all the ladies are all like you had in Japan all around you, but this time they're not affiliated with the mafia. You can you can touch and look. You know? Yeah, man. I'm, like I'm just you know I'm I'm older. You know what I'm saying? I'm older now. It, when back then. When I was fighting, I was still young, but at the same time, like, I've already, I went through college, I went through all that, so I knew all the party lifestyle. I'd go back home to Dallas and kick it in Dallas, but I was like, you know what? Enough partying, let's get this built. And that's what, I so that's my, that's my mode right now. My, you know, um, get healed up, let's get this built. I thought it was interesting. You guys never crossed paths again. You guys have been, I mean, Gegard's got more fights than almost anybody else. I mean, he's fought, I mean, he's now 43, 6 and 2. These guys fought everybody around the world. No rematch. Was, were you ever close at any point? No, but we're close now. Hey. Um, because, you know, like, really with me, I'm, like, my goal is to get, get to 30 wins, 31 wins, and then just call it, call it a career. So if Gegard is, if Gegard wants to fight, hey, Gegard, we can make it happen. I'm, I'm open to fight anybody at Bellator besides Sensei Roy Nelson and Chael Sonnen because they're, they're my boys. You know what I'm saying? And, and Chael looked out for me when I was sick. Roy's my sensei. But anybody else that wants to fight, if they want to fight me, I'm open to fight. All right. Them. So this is, this is like, you know, it's like pro This is like an open challenge. This is like John Cena's U.S. title open challenge, only it's for real. King Mo just put out the open challenge in Bellator, Bellator that anybody can get some. King Mo, can Fedor get some? I'd love to fight Fedor, man. I look if even it's like this. Even if I can't fight Fedor, I would love to go train with them. We could spar. We could spar every day of the week. I just want to get. I just want to get some action with Fedor. You know, I want. I want. I want to see these. I want to test <laughs> my skills. Um. So, like, you know, I reached out to these people. I was like, hey, if Fedor, we can't fight. Let's, you know, come to Florida. I'll go to Russia. You know, I, I'm with me. I'm willing to seek out training. I'm willing to seek the best and train with the best. Makes no difference to me. I just want to get better and have fun doing it. Would you ask him if you could put on the sweater just one time? Come on, King Mo, just one time. Okay, if I wear the sweater, if I could, if he wears the crown. Yes, <laughs> yes. I'd love to see some sparring between these two guys. Uh, I love this open challenge. You know, hey Bonner, you want to get it in the real cage, not just in the ring at Bound for Glory. Hey Bonner, King Mo is opening up the challenge right here. Well, Bonner's not crazy. He knows better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Bonner, leave MMA alone. Stick to pro wrestling because I will beat that tail at Bountiful Gore. Oh, caught in a promo. I love it. Story time with King Mo is becoming my favorite segment here. King Mo, this does continue the trend, though. UFC guys coming over to Bellator, like I mentioned, and struggling. Once again, what is going on here? Well, what's going on is a lot of people out there drinking that Kool-Aid, like, oh, he came from the UFC. He did come and smash so-and-so and so-and-so. No, it's about the matchup. If you have a matchup that doesn't fit properly or fits you properly, you might lose. And with Shlomenko, 
here's one thing people forget, right? Uriah Hall beat who? Beat Gagard. With what? Spinning, spinning, spinning push kick to the head and stopped him. Now, who else does spinning techniques pretty damn good? Shlomenko. And Shlomenko has better takedowns. I feel like Shlomenko's more, a, a more well-rounded fighter than, um, than, um, than, um, uh, Uriah Hall in a sense because he's had more experience. Uriah Hall is a great fighter, but if you look at experience, Shlomenko has the experience factor and the edge in that. So, I don't know. I, when I saw that matchup being made, I was like, man, it's not an easy fight for Gegar. Well, mentally, if you're a Bellator fighter and you've never been to the quote-unquote big dance of the UFC and a UFC guy is chasing the money to come down to Bellator, are you extra hungry? Like, I want that guy. I want to take him out. Are you, you know, I want to show him that, you know, it's not easy here. Is there any kind of motivation in that for these guys? Oh, I don't know. You know, I, I just think that fight, you know, fight to fight and we're not worried about defending the organization. So we're, we're, we're worried about winning. And when we win or we go out there and fight hard, by doing that, we defend the organization. You know, it's not it's not like we're like, oh, we fight hard for Bellator. No, we're, like, we're fighting hard for ourselves. Fight hard for that cash. Yep. We're, we're representing Bellator. So people come over from the UFC expecting easy UFC victories will come getting a Bellator ass whooping. That's what happens. You come to, you come from the UFC to Bellator, you will receive an ass whooping if you come with, with disrespect. You've wow. seen it like. Some, like, no, seriously, you look at guys, you look at guys like everyone was like, Lorenz Larkin could come in and smash Lima. Didn't happen. Lorenz Larkin could fight. Lima could fight. Paul Daly could fight. People thought, oh, Benson Harrison could come in and, and smash these guys. Well, Benson Harrison came in not 100%, but he, he fought hard and he lost some. You know what I'm saying? It's not guaranteed you're going to come in and, and wreck shop. Look at, um, look at uh, the former Bellator champion when went to the UFC. Um, Eddie Alvarez. Went there, got got beat his first fight, got control his first fight, wins his second fight, then wins it, ends up winning the belt in his third fight. You know, who you can't say which organization has the best fighters. It's the fighters themselves that 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 show you who the best fighter is, not the organization. Well, King Mo, to close out this Bellator 185 talk, I saw one of the most brutal strikes I think I've ever seen. Did you see the women's flyweight match? Boxing unbeaten champion Heather Hardy, who was making her second appearance in MMA, second appearance with Bellator, took a kick to the face that shattered her nose. I mean, credit to her toughness. She wanted to fight through it. The, the doctor luckily jumped in to stop it. Christina Williams, just in her own second MMA fight, that's some brutal stuff there. I mean, Heather Hardy welcomed MMA. Well, it's, it's very brutal. If you look at, you know, if you look at the Bellator curse, like Anna, Anna Hulaton, she fought, she, she dropped the decision. Then you got, um, Aaron Pico lost his first decision. You know, um, you have, uh, Lorenz Larkin lost his first decision in Bellator. Same thing, Benson Henderson. It, it's just, and then you got Heather Hardy, like, she's a prospect, supposed to fight a girl making her pro debut. I mean, it's not pro debut second fight, but she was a three. Actually, no pro debut because she was three no as an amateur. Oh, that's right, right. She yeah. proves to one and zero, and she got dominated. I mean, Christina Williams. We don't know. She may or may not be a prospect to watch, but she was making her pro debut, and you saw the gap in from somebody in Hardy who's trying to see if she can do this as a hobby or new career, and somebody like Williams who's obviously been training to be a mixed martial artist. Yeah, um, actually, I think um, Williams is a prospect. Now, here's the funny thing. I'm looking at, I'm, I'm doing research. I'm looking at Williams. I'm like, okay, she's from Oklahoma. Oh, it's going to be an easy fight for Heather. Cause in Oklahoma, a lot of times you see people in Oklahoma, they stick in Oklahoma. They, they can wrestle, they can grapple, but stri- striking is not good. Unless you go to Tulsa, Oklahoma and train with Alan Green and West No Fire. There are a few guys up in Tulsa, but I'm looking at her record kickboxing. I'm looking at all the top kickboxers go down to Dallas or actually Fort Worth to train with Stephen Wright, Johnny Henderson coach. So I didn't know she worked with him, but I'm watching her and I'm like, okay, this girl's bigger than what I expected because at weigh-ins, they look about the same size. And then I saw her walk Heather Hardy down behind a jab and leg kicks and, and body kicks. And I'm like, this girl's not playing. She kept on walking her down, head kick. And I'm seeing her knock Heather Hardy around the ring and I'm seeing Heather Hardy's nose start to bleed. And I'm like, okay, this girl's a serious problem. I'm not sure if any girl at 125 that doesn't have any experience with, like the, like Emily um, Dakota and the other girl she's facing the finals. I mean, for the belt, girls outside, girls, girls outside them two, and Beto Ortega and maybe Brooke, My, uh, Brooke Mayo, aren't they? They should stay away from uh from Williams right now. Well, because MMA, they, women's MMA is still at such an infancy point, and we saw this during Ronda Rousey's run, King Mo, where there's still a big gap between girls that are pure mixed martial artists who can finish. 
and you know girls who are still kind of picking up different different disciplines and putting it together it's almost like today's women's mma is like 10 15 years behind the growth so you know we saw like that match that was televised anna hulatin coming over from boxing going in there against somebody who was just in her second or third pro fight neither of them could could land a significant strike it was a boring decision then you see this fight for heather hardy going against somebody who can actually strike can finish a fight it's a much different ball game yeah it is and the thing is i i like the, what's hurting some of these high-level women that come to MMA is they're not getting with a good team. You have the Serrano sisters, right? Um, they're great boxers. They're getting involved in MMA. Where are they training? I don't know. I'm hoping with Henzo or somebody. You have Heather Hardy. Who is she trained with? Have no idea. Is she with the MMA team or is she still doing boxing and then once in a while dibbling and dabbling in MMA here and there? You know, I know Williams is, is involved. It seems like she's involved in kickboxing. Seems like she's probably doing some grappling, doing some MMA training, you know, more than the other, more than, more than, um, more than Heather Hardy. So I, I just, I don't know. I feel like, feel like what's going to happen is you can see a change in mentality. You're going to see a lot of women coming to MMA with more, a bigger chip on their shoulder, looking to prove something. You'll see more women looking for stoppages eventually because now you're seeing like, you're seeing like women, the emphasis is, 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 is actually becoming, going adolescent, the adolescent stage right now. And you're starting to see more brutal stoppages. Where before you just saw a bunch of grappling, you saw some stoppages, but it was wild. Now you're seeing calculate like jo- Joanna, you know, um, Jessica Andrade. They're coming with calculated stuff and beating these girls up. Yeah, well, like look at that run Rousey went on, and, and you know, you don't you don't try to criticize it now in hindsight, but there was that stretch where she was, you know, instantly submitting people who weren't going to be able to finish her anyway on the feet. Girls like Alexis Davis, some some on that category, Sarah McMahon. You know what I mean? They were strong in certain disciplines, but they're not going to come out there and finish her when she fought. The dangerous strikers who could, Holly Holm, Amanda Nunez, she got finished. I know that there's different circumstances in some of those fights, but I always had in the back of my mind, Rousey's going to eventually have to fight somebody who actually could finish her, and when she did, she got finished twice in a row. Well, she's lucky. Rousey's a great fighter, but she's lucky they kept her from Cyborg because that would have been ugly. And the thing is, I've trained alongside Cyborg, and Cyborg is a problem. You know, even, like, I know we talked about Cyborg fighting Amanda Nunez, and I'm like, okay, Amanda Nunez can fight. But at 130, at 135, I feel like Amanda Nunez wins. At 140, Amanda Nunez can win because Cyborg's going to drain herself. At 145, that's when it stops because Amanda Nunez washed around at like 145, if that, you know, maybe 150, maybe 150. She's not that big for the weight class. Now, Cyborg, on the other hand, is a different animal. Big, strong, athletic. Experience doesn't gas, can grapple, can wrestle, can kickbox, can box, can punch, can come with volume, can knee, can leg kick, can throw, can slam. She can do it all. You know, and, and she's she, she get a little older now, but like, I feel like right now she's the, the best women's MMA fighter. Like, probably the greatest ever I've seen. You know, Lucia Riker could have won that if she would have went to MMA, but she stuck with kickboxing and boxing. But right now, when I see Cyborg, Amanda Nunez, and Joanna, or you know, right behind her. I just hope Cyborg gets the right opponents. She's already in her 30s. I hope she gets the right opponents for a stretch where she can really go on a run. Maybe if there's not good opponents, then at least she can pile up title defenses so that she can really make that stake of being the best ever. Because, you know, to a certain degree, Rousey's run, of course, was elevated and blown up and, and make you know put makeup on and made it a big thing because she was such a star. But like you said, Cyborg is probably the best female fighter outside of maybe Juana that we've ever seen in the cage. I mean, there's no question about it. You hope, though, that she could get the marketing and, and commercial acclaim to match that because she deserves it yeah she deserves it you know um coming on what the ufc wants to do it, it comes down what cyber wants to do but uh really she's gonna be a problem for anybody i don't know if she'll have matchups she'll, she'll have matchup issues the rest of her career because here's what's gonna happen she's gonna beat these girls she's probably gonna retire go to wwe and by that time two years three years later when she's away from the game it's gonna be a woman that pops up and like everyone's gonna be like, hey, I want to fight, see a fight Cyborg. But by the time that fight happens, Cyborg will have been two or three years away from the cage, and then, you know she'll be a little rusty and she might come back and play a great fight, but she might win or lose, but it might be closer because she's been gone from from competition. That I, I think that's what's gonna happen. First you're too young, then you're too old, King Mo. That prime, that perfect prime. You got to manage it right, right? Yeah, definitely. You got to find you got to find it and make make things happen. All right, Kimo, we got a couple more things to round out here. Bellator welterweight Michael Venom Page, MVP 
had a really explosive boxing debut in London over the weekend for a card promoted by David Hay. A third round TKO of Jonathan Castano in almost spectacular Roy Jones Jr. ninja-ish. It was like a leaping left hand. It just was, it was exciting. Just straight right hand. Straight right hand. It was explosive. Uh, what do you take away from this? Because we do have to mention his opponent, Castano, 2-12-1 is the record. But what do you take away from this crossover attempt by Page? Well, let me start off with one. You got my been 2-12-1. Actually, I think it was 2-12-1, yeah, but, you know, that's more experience in, in the rain than uh, MVP. People seem to forget that. Experience does matter. You know, um, talent does matter too. If you can see the guy that have the talent, um, you can see when he got rocked, he got up to his feet, but you could tell he didn't want to continue. Now that was a good, that was a great win for MVP, um, great way to cross over. Um, I hope they move him slow because the thing is, that will work, that right hand, fast right hand, amazing. That'll work on guys with no boxing skills. But the moment he faces a guy with jabs and can get head movement and get experience, you know, he, that won't work. Hopefully he won't face a guy like that till he gets to his like 10th and 11th win. Give him time to build. That's one thing people fail to realize. Like at boxing, in combat sports, you need to build your athletes so they can have pro, so they can have a long, solid career. You don't want to throw them out to the wolves right away. And I've saw a lot of comments. They're like, "Oh, he beat a bum. Let him fight somebody. Let him fight the Gale. Let him fight oh, Eubank Jr. Come on, that's like, pff, come on, that's that's no." No. He's built to face those people. I hope that he, you know, if he wants to keep that going as, as a potential second career, if he can end up getting into some fun trash talk war with somebody in a boxing match for big money, that's fine. But for him, we want to see him in the cage. And good news for MMA fans is that after this boxing debut, all he was talking about is Paul Semtex Daily under the Bellator banner. Only get this, King Mo. I like this talk. He wants to do it purse versus purse. That's the only way he wants this fight to happen. Winner take all. So guess what? Bellator Pre CEO Scott Coker on MMA Fighting Show on Monday said, I'm going to call him right now and try to make this happen. I've never seen this before. A lot of fans through the years, especially on the boxing side, who've complained that sometimes boxers make too much money. It doesn't give them the onus to fight hard. Imagine a real... High level MMA fight, winner take all. Is this this is unheard of, right? Yes, I heard it. But here's the thing, right? Okay, check this out. When fans say fight, boxers or fighters get paid too much, that's that's stupid. If you want fighters to fight hard, guess what? Give them a flat rate. Don't go because if you if if because it's like this. This fight could go either way. Purse versus purse. It could be like all right. It could be like Paul. It could be MVP saying, you know what? My purse versus his purse. Paul Dilly hits hard. You know what? I'm gonna keep him on the outside. Just out point him. Keep it, make it easy. I'm, you know, he can't wrestle me because I'm too long. So I'm gonna do that. That's a good point. So you're saying that if they were fighting for money, it would make the we we think that it would make the fight more exciting. You're saying it's potential to make the fight more boring. Yeah, because the fight more. You know, why would you want to lose your whole purse if you fight? If you went out there and made a dumb mistake for some, someone that could punch like Paul Daly, why risk it? Go out there and keep him at bay or take him down. If I'm Paul Paul Daly, then I'm like, okay, I'm fighting MVP. <sighs> He's long. Maybe let's try to take him down or leg kick or keep. Either way, he has to find a way to keep the fight in his, put the fight in his advantage. That's interesting. So Ryan Bader, before his Bellator debut earlier this year, said the same thing. Basically, he said now that they're now that we're not fighting for a bonus like we are in UFC in Bellator, you're going to see a more exciting version of me because I'm not. You know, I, I don't, I'm not having to protect a bonus as much. Although I will say, hey, Bader, we didn't see an exciting version of you against Phil Davis in that title fight. Just so you know, you got the belt, big guy. That's great. But, uh, that was sort of an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. You think about this. Look at boxing. Boxing, you don't see no show and win bonus. You see a flat rate and guys lay on the line. MMA, pay us a flat rate. You want to see great fights? Pay, 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 um, pay, pay, let's see, pay, Somebody a flat rate. Let's see, think, think of two big names. Do Dos Santos versus Ngannou. Pay them a flat rate. You'll see a slugfest. Well, you'll see anyway. But if you put give a flat rate, they will not care. Those go out there and fight. Is there a middle ground though, where seventy five percent of your check would be guaranteed, and that last twenty five, that's what both fighters could be fighting for? Is there some middle ground that would make fans feel like you're getting a more exciting product, or is this all hogwash? Let fighters fight, basically. Yeah, I feel like just let fighters fight because it depends on the fight situation. Same when you're fighting, right? And we both need that 100% of our check to pay the bills. Are you going to fight swing defenses knowing you have to win? Or are you going to go out there and fight smart? That's how I see it because we're both fighting for the same thing, the 25% because we both need it. Yeah. We can go swing for the fences, but it's a, it's a gambler's chance where, where 
you can hit me in the chin, and I can throw down, and I can hit you. Where if I go out there to troll you, ground and pound you for submission, you don't get it, beat you up some more, and wear you down, then stop you, okay. But guess what? The first few rounds might be boring because I'm trying to wear you down. Where if I'm getting paid a flat, if they if they if they came to me and said, hey, we're gonna give you a million dollars flat rate to fight, you can go out there and fight. Now, if they said, hey, we give you 500 to show, 500 to win, you can be like, okay, I want that million dollars. I got 500,000, but I want that million dollars. Well, you know what? I'm going to get that win. Well, if they give you a flat rate, you can go out there and be like, you know what? I just got to go out there and fight. The pressure's off you because you got your check. The pressure's off. Just go out there and fight. Well, I guess you fans argue it the other way that if there's nothing extra to fight for, then it would stop a guy from, you know, emptying the tank and, and potentially injuring himself when he's not fighting for an extra prize of a bonus or protecting a certain part of his check. I guess it could go either way, but I do get what you're saying where, you know, the, the fight's in the bank. There's no pressure to protect it. Well, think about this, right? All the fighters are like, oh, he's not laying on the line, blah, blah, blah. But guess what? We Every day we train, we lay on the line. When we step foot in the cage, we're laying on the line because we know there's a chance we can leave the cage dead. Or with less than what we went in there with. Yeah. Now, now you know, you get to you know think about like um how got people like you know they complain about fighters not the you know we're spoiled, spoiled. We're entertaining you guys. We're 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 risking our health. Pay us full. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Because before before they're paying us a lot. Guess what? We were fighters were fighting hard back in the UFC UFC one the tournament. Matt Matt Lynn told me his first, very first tournament he fought in. Was a local tournament. He fought five times for fifty dollars. They were doing that back then. Imagine if you got paid more. He'd probably fight more tournaments. If you're paying fighters good and they're they're happy and they're healthy, they will fight harder. Yeah, I'm telling you right now. I mean, look, I'm I'm all for the fighter getting what they deserve. Believe me. I mean, it's easy for a journalist or a fan who's not stepping in there to try to talk about how hard a guy's going to fight and how much money he's making. We're not in that type of danger. But King Mo, interesting thing I wanted to bring up here. We talked about potential MMA guys being in boxing. UFC bantamweight champion Cody Garbrandt has unveiled publicly his master plan to become a crossover star. Now he has a really really tough fight up next. His first title defense. UFC 217, November 4th at MSG when he faces former champ TJ Dillashaw. After he gets that win, King Mo, he says he's going to move down to 125 and take on Demetrius Johnson, the flyweight king. After he gets that win, King Mo, he wants to box Conor McGregor. Or, if he can't get that, box Mikey Garcia or Adrian Broner. This is a, this is pretty ambitious, King Mo. I mean, at what point do you stop him and say, Cody, you, you, you're, this is a little bit too far, guy. Come on. Cody can box. That's one thing. He got skills. He can box. But Mikey Garcia, come on now. Okay, so he at that point, that's where you thought it was too far. I always thought it might have been too far, Demetrius Johnson. In your prime, cutting 10 pounds? To, to, I don't know about that. You don't need to. Why do that? If he wants to cut 20, um, 10 pounds to fight Mighty Mouse, okay, that's cool. Because Mighty Mouse is an MMA fighter. Now, if he wants to fight Adrian Broner, that's problems. He's going to face all sorts of problems with the left hands and right hands. He faces Mike Garcia. He's getting he's getting knocked out. You know, it's, it's two different levels. You know, um, but the fact that he wants to do it, I'm I'm cool with that. You know, it shows that he wants he's chasing greatness. I like that. Um, if he wants to fight um, Demetrius Johnson at 125, make it happen. I think that if, if I was him, I'd make you catch with 130 because it's not guaranteed he can make 125. That's you know, and, and, he, and he they don't want to make the fight happen. And all of a sudden, he goes the way ins and he misses weight. And then Mighty Mouse like, you know what? He missed weight. Uh, he could either be like, hey, I'm not taking the fight, or I'll fight him, but he can't weigh more than 135 come fight time. Or, King Mo, let's say he makes 125 and he's a zombie like Chad Dawson was when he cut down to fight Andre Ward. Maybe that's, you know, you've seen that happen before. Yeah, but it's the risk that he wants to take. He No one no one said, hey, cut down to 125. He said it himself. So if he wants to do that, let him do that. Now, as far as boxing, um, Conor McGregor, I don't know if that's going to happen because I'm pretty sure Conor – We'll probably fight Pauly Malignaggi next. Um, as wow, far as fight, King Mo putting his putting his two cents in there on on the Pauly fight. Yeah, I think Pauly's gonna beat him. You know, I think Pauly's gonna beat him. Wow, Pauly's, so you think it'll a happen and b you're picking Pauly if it does? Yeah, it's off experience. You know, I think I think Connor's gonna have a good account of himself even more because because Connor, I mean, Pauly can't really punch. You know, but and I he's think thirty six. He's been out of the game. I think I think I think I think um Pauly will end up beating him by like three or four rounds, and then if it. You know, who knows what's gonna happen with that? But I'm not sure if I'm not sure if Conor comes back to MMA just yet. 
I think he'll box again, then maybe come back. Who knows? Well, it shows that Cody at least understands how to become a star. And by the way, the UFC really needs him right now. Like, this is really true. Dana White was asked recently during a, a press tour stop in Toronto, like, who's the next crossover star? You know, John Jones going to be away a while. Ronda Rousey may not be coming back. Connor may not be back to the Octagon any soon. Who's your next guy? He identified Cody Garbrandt as that guy. I don't disagree with that. Cody's got the look. He's got the fun style. He's young. He can talk. He can do a lot of things. But... King Mo, I'm not sure I'm going to favor Cody to even beat TJ Dillashaw because I think Dillashaw got got a little bit of a raw deal against Cruz. I think that's your maybe fourth best fighter in the world, pound for pound, right now, TJ Dillashaw. I'm not sure Cody's going to get through that fight, let alone try to take on Mighty Mouse or, or Connor. So it really has to be one step at a time in this path to like true crossover stardom. Yeah, well, the thing is, true crossover stardom. I, Dana White, I don't know if he's like the person the to really ask, I think that more than anything, just let time reveal it because Garbrandt, he's known, but how known is he? I really, you know, I, I really don't know much about him. I know he boxed a little bit, I know he's from Ohio or Pennsylvania, something like that, but I really don't know much about him because the UFC really doesn't do a good job pushing him. They do a horrible job, horrible job pushing him. They do a horrible job pushing Daniel. They do a horrible job pushing a lot of the people. Think about it. Like, what, Steve Bamayo is the champion. What do we know about him? I think you you may have said it on a previous episode that you have a commissioner in Dana White who spends just as much time tearing down his fighters than than lifting him up. He's not a commissioner, obviously. He's a promoter. So guess what? The job as a promoter is to promote, and it seems like he's stepping on more of his fighters than he is to try to lift them up, and that mixed message comes through. Well, what happened was he built himself up first because for a while – let me ask you this question, right? The past 10 years – Who's the biggest star in MMA? Uh, Brock Lesnar. Wrong. Conor McGregor. Dana White. Dana, no, Dana White. Dana White. There you go. There you go. There you go. Hands down, the biggest star in MMA, Dana White, for the past 10 years. Probably still to this day because if he wants to squash somebody and make somebody obsolete, he can do that by deleting them. <laughs> you like that? Wow, some Matt Hardy crossover there. I like that. He can easily just smash them and just talk bad about them. Say, this guy, I feel like this guy lost this fight. He can just discredit the person and all of a sudden, once that person is discredited, then guess what? No one really cares to see them fight. Then the UFC matchmakers will put them with a the person that is a bad matchup for them. And once they lose, they'll find somebody else. Like, you know what? I like that person. Let's push that person. All right. If, it comes down to him. That's what he does. If you had to guess, though, you know, they asked Dana. He said Cody's probably the next best for the, the next, you know, best bet for, for who could be that next crossover star. Not an easy thing. Who's the one guy, though? You think Cody's the answer, though? Who's the one guy has the best chance right now to be – not Connor level, but to be a guy who can fill the hole of where GSP used to be, where Anderson Silva used to be in terms of consistent pay-per-view buys. Who's that guy in any organization right now? Pay-per-view buys? I don't know. It could be MVP. It could be someone like MVP. You know what I'm saying? But as far as crossover appeal and doing TV shows and movies and commentary, Daniel Cormier hands down. Because Daniel Cormier, people don't see it. I know Daniel real well, but there's a, there's different sides of Daniel. He's funny. He's well-spoken. He's articulate. All sorts of stuff, but they only show a few sides of it. Daniel, could, I can see him being a comedian. I can see him being an actor. You know, it's just like, it's just we get the opportunity. It, it, it's, it's up to the UFC to help push him. So you see him kind of almost being like a stray hand, like crossing into boundaries where athletes hadn't previously before. Yes, that's what I see. I see that Daniel could do that. I see. I think Kenny Foran, Granny's retired. Kenny Foran could do it. Woodley's doing it. There are a lot of people that could do it. It's just that the UFC really doesn't put that in the forefront. Dude, Woodley what? has a show on TMZ. They could they could be like, oh, catch Tyron Woodley on TMZ. Bam, his own his own segment. But guess what? They don't because they really don't care. That's the best name you could have said, Woodley. Great looking guy. Fun style in the ring in the right matchup. Can talk. It feels like Dana's constantly squashing that dude. I know. Look, I know the Maya fight was boring, but it just feels like Dana's going out of his way to push Woodley back every chance he can get. So let's think about this. Name me one exciting Maya fight. Besides when he fought Chael. When he fought Chael because Chael was reckless. He threw Chael, hit Chael with the back fist, and submitted them. But other than that, when he fought Anderson, because Damian Maya is so dangerous, you can't be, you can't make it a fight, you can't make a fight exciting with him because he's too dangerous. The moment the fight goes to the ground, guess what? You're in trouble. Even when Damian Maya fought, um, Jake Shields, Jake Shields controlled him, but guess what? The fight was born because Jake Shields was like, you know what? I'm gonna take him down. I'm gonna control him because he's too dangerous on the ground. When you face guys that are dangerous, there are two options. 
it could be exciting because they win or they get knocked out with something crazy or the fight their opponent takes it plays it safe because they're afraid of a dangerous opponent for for instance fernando fernando um gonzalez versus mvp yes you know fernando was like you know what i'm gonna fight this guy with a game plan because he's very dangerous dangerous opponents you don't go out there to make the fight exciting because since they're dangerous the fight's exciting that means you're probably getting beat up or you got knocked out it's a great point the only good maya fights i think is when he initially moved back down to welterweight when guys we're just like, I'm just going to go for it against this guy. And they went right into the spider web and they got, and they either got submitted quick or they got knocked out. Roy McDonald, when Roy McDonald beat him up, that was actually, it was exciting for the first round that, that Damian Maya packed it. You know, he's like, you know what? I'm getting beat up. I'm just going to just, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to play it safe. I'm going to get beat up, but I'm going to get knocked out. And that's what he did. Damian Maya is a, he's a great fighter. He's a, um, he's fighting, matter of fact, fighting Kobe Covington, a teammate, um, I think this weekend. It's a tough fight. Tough fight for both guys, you know? And I don't expect it to be action-packed because they're both wrestlers. Kobe can't be dumb and go to the ground with this guy. He can, but when you go to the ground with the black belt, an expert on the ground, you might get submitted. Well, I was going to hit that on the way out. This weekend on Saturday from Sao Paulo, Brazil, it's UFC fight night. That co-main is what you mentioned, Damian Maia versus Colby Covington. The main event, though, middleweights Derek Brunson versus Leota Machida. Who do you like in this one? Ah, uh, man. I'm cool with both guys. Both men. I'm, you know, Ligado, I went to Brazil with him, trained with him. Great guy. Great martial art. You know, a pure martial artist like Damian Maya. Then you got Derek Brunson, young kid, great athlete, good, good wrestler, good fighter. I think in this, I'm going to go with the person that's been busier and the person that's been active and I'm going to go with, uh, Derek Brunson. You know, but at the same time, you can't count Ligado out. It's just that if Ligado had been competing, um, you know, for the past two years consistently, I would, I'd, I'd give it a toss up. It's a toss up. But the fact of the matter is, Nigeto had been out for a while. That break might have helped him recover from some injuries, but Derek Brunson has gained confidence. He went, I think he went three or three, three rounds with Anderson Silva. You know, he fought Whitaker. You know, he's beating Whitaker and then got rocked. Um, he, um, knocked out Uriah, Uriah Hall. He's, He's, you know, has, you know, found, found himself. He's confident again. You know, he's back on, back on top. So I feel like he's riding a wave of, uh, of success going into this fight. Well, I'm always going to be a big Machida guy, but yeah, like you said, a lot going against him. Two years off because of a PED suspension. He's 39 and he's lost three of his last four, including that devastated KO loss to Yoel Romero. A devastating submission to Luke Rockhold. I mean, he, you know, he, he fights the big names, but that's been a rough stretch. We'll see if he can get back on. The final note is that Jose Aldo is going to come back. He's going to return December 16th in Manitoba, Canada against veteran Ricardo Lamas. This is the second half of, of Jose Aldo's career. If you were him, how would you do this? Would you, would you move up in weight? How would you navigate this portion of your career? You, you know, you lost to Connor. You rebounded shortly against Frankie Edgar, but a really devastating loss against Max Holloway for the belt. You try to get back in line and try to prove that you were injured that night. Where's he going? Uh, I'm going to say something that might not be real. That might be real. That might be real. It's real, but it might not be light. If I were him, I'd talk to my managers. I'd get released. I'd go to Bellator. And here's the reason why. Um, disrespected. I remember years ago when he was the man. He still is the man to me. He's the he had the champ. He had the belt at featherweight. He wanted to fight light, lightweight to win that belt too. What did they say? No. He said no. He tried to do it again. They said no. And all of a sudden they let Conor McGregor do it. That's true. He wanted to fight Anthony Pettis. He wanted a super fight. There was nobody left in his division for him to fight. And they said no. And then think about this, right? He loses the he loses the um to um Conor. You figure since he's been had, had the, held the belt for how many years? Eight to ten years, something like that. Some ridiculous. He get a, a immediate reach, um, like you know, um, you know, uh, a rematch never happened. But you see everybody else getting a rematch. You know, everybody else that lost the belt. You know, um, who um, I think at one seventy was it one seventy or one eighty? One of them, one of the weight classes. I think one fifty five. You know, guys would drop a would lose. You know, Ronda Rousey, for instance. Ronda Rousey lost the belt, got a rematch. Mm -hmm. Everyone. Everyone else has lost the belt besides Jose Aldo's got an immediate rematch just about. He didn't get the respect of getting the Conor rematch against everybody. He did get the interim title bout against Frankie Edgar, which became the full championship. But he does have a history of disrespect there with the UFC. There's there's no question about it. Interesting thought by you. Maybe I think there's three or four fights left on his UFC deal. If you're him, would you try to get those fights done in like a Cerrone style, like six, seven months? Just get them, get them out as quickly as you can? No, I'd do what Ian McCall did, go ask for a release. Ian McCall, 
is happy. Go ask for release. You know what? No, what? You know what we see going on right now? This, what you see with the UFC fighters going to Bellator and not unhappy is what you see with the WWE fighters unhappy. Yes. And they're the indie scene. It's the same thing. Just because you're in a bigger organization doesn't mean it's necessarily better. You know, you want you have to find what's what's a good fit for you. I feel like Jose Aldo coming to Bellator would be a good fit because he started off with Spike TV. You know, actually WC then went to Spike TV, whatever. Then they went to went to Fox. But I feel like if he came to Bellator, he'd get that welcome and he'd get that respect that he deserves. And there's some featherweights in Bellator for him to fight. There's and lightweights. There's some fun guys. Exactly, and he can do matches. He can fight at whatever weight class he wants. Because Bellator is not about keeping it one weight class. They're about hey. Just give us – go out there, make the weight, and give us fights you want to watch. That's give what me, they want. Give me Jose Aldo, Benson Henderson. I mean, give me – there's some things you can do there. Jose Aldo versus Pitbull. Oh, yeah. Patricky. And you got guys that will come at Jose, which will make his fights exciting, you know? Michael. You know, you have, you have guys like um, Strauss. You have uh, um, um, the guy that beat Strauss, uh, the um, dude from Milwaukee. I can't think of his name. Um, oh, yeah, tip of my tongue there, tip of my tongue there. But, yeah, there, there's certainly – some names there for him to fight. I, I want to see him get. I don't want to see him fade away. I want to see him get. You know, get a fight that matters to him. Get it. Get 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 back in there in something that means something. Uh, who are you talking there about? Strauss lost to. Uh, he Emmanuel, lost Emmanuel Sanchez. Yeah, Emmanuel can fight. The thing is that I feel like he needs a new, a, a, a new start because in the UFC now they're taking it for granted. He's a former champion, and, and you have him fight in Manitoba, Manitoba. Have you been? I've been to Manitoba. It's nothing up there. That's like Siberia. I mean, this is this is UFC putting him out where he can't succeed. He's not gonna sell tickets in Manitoba. Are you kidding me? Put him in Vegas. Put him back in Brazil. Put him in. You know, bring him up here in America. You know, I feel like p- people, the fans know who Jose Aldo is, but to put him up in Manitoba, that's disrespectful in my opinion. Disrespectful. Is he headlining the card or is he a co-main event? Oh, he's headlining the card, but I mean, come on. This is a UFC fight night card in the middle of December. In December, in the middle of Manitoba. It's a fight night? Okay. Well, is it, is it a fight pass or is it on? Because the thing is, you never know. You know, so they have some fights, like Cerrone fight on fight pass, I think. The fight, was it fight on fight pass or was it on FX? I didn't even catch that live. I think it was on fight pass, I think, because it was an afternoon uh, Poland card. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, honestly, like Josie Aldo, I, I, I like Jose Aldo. I saw him in Holland training. He trains hard, trains smart. He was training with Andy Sauer years ago when I was there. And to see him where he's at now, no. no. All right. To, he, to UFC's credit, this Aldo fight will be a UFC on Fox card. So it's one of those quarterly ones. So, uh, you know, okay. you, you'll, you'll give him that. It, he'll be cold out there in Manitoba, but at least this will air on Fox. It's a former name they can sell. So UFC did well. We'll give him that credit on that regard. Okay. Then, okay that, I, I respect that. That's cool. You know, but – Jose Aldo, you know, if if you're not happy <laughs> and do you have a few more fights left, fight those fights out to the Bellator or just get released to the Bellator. Go, go, where you, you know, go find, you know. Hey, call opp- King Mo if you're not happy, all right? Call King Mo. And by the way, uh, Bellator fighters, just to reiterate from earlier in the podcast, the open challenge is out there. You want some of King Mo? Pick up the phone, all right? Happen, yeah. And guess who else is going to get some of you? Moose and Stefan Bonner, November 5th, Impact Wrestling, Bound for Glory 2017. The six sides of steel tag matches. King Mo teams with Lashley. Can't wait for that. You can follow me on Twitter at BCampbellCBS. Follow the king at KingMoFH. King Mo, we, we, we did it. We went around the horn. We wrapped it up this week. You got anything for the listeners on the way out? Oh, man, um, nothing, man. I just I thought I had a chance to catch those fights this past weekend. Machado versus uh, Corrales. Watch that fight. It's a great fight. There it is. And guess what? We out. <laughs>